Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Thanks for joining us on the premiere episode of Excuse Me, May I Have Some More? We're the foodcast with an insatiable appetite. My name is Brad Kramer, and my co-host is Christine Struble. I'm a contributor to foodsided.com, and Christine is the grand pooba of the same site, where she is the queen of content creation. Uh, well, I would like to, does my um, title grand pooba come with a special t-shirt or crown to wear Why I'm during this whole podcast thing? You know, we can work on that, and maybe we can uh, find a way to add a scepter to the deal too. That, that would be lovely, you know, cause uh, I need a few more little tchotchkes in my chick in my kitchen. As you'll also quickly learn if it's alcohol related, there is nobody that will outdo her. So, well, you know, there is the classic phrase. It's five o'clock somewhere. Unfortunately in my house, it's five o'clock always, but there's no reason to turn down a great, beverage whether it has alcohol or not you know we all get thirsty we need to quench that thirst a little so pop open something and enjoy so what do you do for somebody like me who does not drink and that's probably why i'm a large mammal because your inclination is to go for the glass of wine or the beer and my inclination is to grab the nearest brownie or donut well i mean the 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 most easiest thing when it when it comes to thinking about a beverage is you want to have that same experience that you have when you eat that brownie or you eat that cookie. It makes you feel good. It's that little bit of an endorphin. So when it comes to a beverage that maybe doesn't have the alcohol like wine or beer, you want to build flavors. So you take a simple sparkling water and you add some fresh cranberries to it, or maybe you add um, something a little savory or even a little spicy adding. If you like spice, put a couple crushed jalapenos on the bottom with some lime sparkling water. And it gives that feeling of having something delicious, just you don't have to chew it. And in your case, you would also add the splash of vodka. Well, not well. if we're going to do jalapenos and lime, it probably would be a lovely tequila, um, maybe even a little spicy tequila to make a margarita or something, gotcha. but, or, or, or a mezcal. You could do that to have a little smoky flavor to it. Um, 
but it's it's all about playing and and enjoying what you do there is a well-known to many uh stand-up comic named jackie mason who did a one-man show on broadway years and years and years ago called the world according to me and and this ties back to what we were discussing one of to me the best little segments of his act was talking about the difference between Jews, of which I am one, and Gentiles, of which you are one, after they walk out of a Broadway play. And he goes, and I'm have to see if I can find a clip and maybe uh, share it. Everybody knows there is a difference between Jews and Gentiles. If there wasn't a difference, I would have no act at all. <laughs> the truth of the matter is there's a very profound difference. You can tell yourself, if you want to study people, you can always tell the difference between a Jew and a Gentile. All you have to do is watch them leaving this building. You'll know yourself exactly who the Jews are and who the Gentiles are if you watch them. Because every Gentile leaving this building is going to say the same thing. Have a drink? Have a drink? <laughs> How about you? Drink, 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 drink. <laughs> Who's that guy? I don't know. Give him a drink. Give him a drink. <laughs> Who's on the floor? Pick him up. Give him a drink. Drink. Yeah, go have a drink, Charlie. <laughs> That's all they'll talk about. And every Jew will be saying the same thing, too. Did you eat yet? <laughs> It's a simple fact that Gentiles never finish drinking and Jews never finish eating. They never finish eating. What do you think Jews talk about for breakfast? Where to eat lunch. That's all they can Lunch, where should we have dinner? Dinner, where should we have coffee? Well, we had coffee, but we didn't have cake yet. Let's go for a walk. We walked already, but we didn't have cake yet. Four o'clock in the morning, let's have sex. We had sex, but we didn't have cake yet. And that seems to fit us perfectly. It, it does. I mean, but then again, I... Although I am not Jewish, I do enjoy my classic black and white cookie. Uh, and maybe I do have that with a little espresso martini on the side. But you know, dessert still is very important. You always end, always end a meal or a day on something sweet. You cannot you know, live without having something sweet in your life on a daily basis. You posited the question to me off air in writing um, about why family gatherings always revolve around food. And so have at it. Well, the, there, there are a few ways to get people together. I mean, when, since I am the Gentile, we'll say normally you get people together for three reasons. One, someone died. Two, someone got married. Or three, someone had a baby. And normally, other than those major events, the only other way you get people to sit around and actually have a conversation is you put food on a table and people just swarm sometimes. Um, maybe they're hungry. Maybe they just don't know what to say. Um, but that plate of food kind of works. So, you know, we get together on the holidays and, and that's the time where everyone kind of just regroups and talks about what happened maybe in the past year or what's happened currently in their lives or those god-awful questions that any single person would go around and say, oh, please don't ask me why I don't have a boyfriend or I haven't had a child yet or my job isn't great enough because, you know, Aunt Edna doesn't have a filter and she just wants to ask all those difficult questions. And maybe that plate of food is the way that you change the subject or 
you connect with Aunt Enda in a different way and get her off that god-awful topic you don't want to discuss and bring her back to a story when she was in New York City and remembers a great restaurant that she had um, that she would always go to before a Broadway show. So it's a way of connecting to people that crosses generations, it crosses genders. It, it, it's a way of communicating in some ways almost without words. Right. Because, because we can all, whether you and I taste the same flavors or agree on the same flavors, we can still be strong in what we say and what we understand and what we believe, and no one can take that away from us. Well, and then along those lines, and reverting back to the whole Jackie Mason thing, you mentioned births, deaths, celebrations. Sometimes the default, and knowing you personally, as I do, the default isn't necessarily food and can be alcohol. Whereas going back to the whole Jewish and Gentile thing, and I know that wasn't meant to be the focus of this conversation, but it's hard not to think of it when you mention a birth, Jewish families get together for the baby naming or the bris. They're not thinking about the booze. They're thinking about the food, the wedding, the bar mitzvah, the, when somebody dies, the first thing I think of when I know somebody dies is who do I order food in from? Where can I set a tray in? They're sitting shiva. We have to feed them. So the inclination isn't always food on your end. There's that alcohol. Well, it, it depends. I mean, um, I, I've, I've been through various things. Much, I, I, I? I mean, it's, you can say it a variety of ways. I, while I am not Polish, I've been to many Polish weddings and every single table has two big bottles of vodka because as you go around during um, the event, there are certain times everyone does a shot. Um, I know that when sometimes when Irish stereotypical Irish Catholic wake there's always a nice bottle of whiskey around and you, you sit around and you raise a glass and raise a toast to things that you remember. Um, so sometimes there is that tradition of having a, a, a drink or two. I, I know I grew up with four o'clock happy hour uh, in my household. And that was what my grandmother did every afternoon. She poured herself a cocktail and started telling stories. Um, and today, maybe it doesn't happen as often, but you still see that little semblance of the traditional happy hour or everyone, the rite of passage when you turn 21 or people, um, you got a big promotion, you uh, pass the bar, whatever it is, sometimes that often revolves around, here, have a bottle. Here, have a drink. Um, you know, things change. There's an ebb and flow. I mean, as now, a lot of people, as they start a new year, they think of that concept of, it's dry January, so I'm going to withhold and change myself and see if I can abstain for a month from drinking. But then people have just come off of a whole year of the only way they could connect 
because everyone's isolated in their house is to hold a Zoom happy hour and have that nightly glass of wine because you can't sit and converse with someone at work anymore. So there's always the, there's a change. There's, and whether it's alcohol allows people to let their ambitions go or it's just a routine, no one quite knows. But some people like it. Some people prefer a cookie or a piece of pie. And that's okay too. I'm guessing that there is a snowball's chance in central Florida of you making it, <laughs> making it through a dry January. Um, I, I take the difference. So the recently they came out uh, with the, you know, the government came out and they made comments and recommendations about the differences of what should, what the guidelines should be for alcohol consumption. And a lot of people were upset that the government didn't take back and say men and and women, because currently it's the, the, the standard is for women, um, one drink a day. But they wanted for across the board that people consume no more than one drink per day. And while I don't necessarily agree with that, I mean, I don't necessarily drink every day either. But I think it's like people just need to be more conscious of what they do. It, it's just like anything. You wouldn't sit there and have three pies in one day why would you have well (laughs) maybe mini pies mini pies are different handheld pies or something else or you know but i mean in theory if you if you if you know what a balanced lifestyle is you probably won't eat two tubs of ice cream and and three steaks in a day you probably shouldn't drink two bottles of wine and a fifth of vodka but just like you have that special slice of cake because it makes you feel good every Wednesday at three. Why can't you have that great martini at the same time? So speaking of that martini and the four o'clock happy hour. Yes. During half the year during daylight savings time, was that a, would happy hour begin at three? Um, you know, it really kind of depended on uh, the day. It, it has nothing to do with the daylight time because sometimes, you know, work hours come late in the evening as opposed to early in the day. So you, you gotta, gotta play with it. So day, day drinking is, is not taboo <laughs> to you. Well, I, I, again, I think it just goes back to, to balance. I mean, I, I don't think anyone should, if you roll out of bed and you grab the vodka bottle, I think you might have a problem. But that screwdriver at brunch, not necessarily a bad thing. My favorite cooking show is Top Chef. And one, aside from the fact I think it's the preeminent cooking competition show, they're not sitting in post-production cleaning up the mistakes and the errors and the poor choices that the contestants and the chefs have made during a given episode. They're editing a television show, so the story has a beginning and a middle and an end, but they're not hiding the warts. They're not hiding the, the poorly seared scallop. And that realism and... 
and that knowledge that you're, you're getting everything, warts and all, is why I think they continue to be far and away the, the best TV food show. Well, the, there's, there are many differences between competition shows. Um, Top Shelf is kind of in its own little bubble, and they have some very talented chefs in that realm that are there for a very specific purpose and, and want that title. And that show evolved in a way very differently than some of the other food competition shows. If you look on the other end of the, uh, on a different angle and you look at something like hell's kitchen where, where it has professional chefs, but not at the same level as, as a top chef, they know there's you know two aspects of that show where a that is a real kitchen they serve a specified set of diners every time that kitchen comes on and they have two hours to get food out and that's how it works but at the same time there are other elements to that show that they know it is it is entertainment because it's not just watching chefs in a kitchen doing cooking food you know there there is an underlying aspect of it that is drama and some people are drawn to that scenario versus the cooking scenario that you see in top chef so you recently chatted with gordon ramsay about the new season of hell's kitchen and uh, he also shared his thoughts on the restaurant industry so let's take a listen so looking a little bit about Hell's Kitchen, it in a way, although it's a, a reality television yes. show, yes. It, it is kind of an experience for these chefs where it, it's like a glorified stage in a way because they're working underneath you and they're learning a lot of different stuff. Could you talk a little bit about how you push them to get to that next level with their cooking? Yeah, um, for me, um, it's really important for them to take some very important lessons from this uh, competition. It's not always about winning. You know, I said to one of the gents earlier, you know, season 19 has been, you know, a dream. But behind this, I have a real restaurant group with real chefs. And so I keep it as real as possible. And there's no fake. There's no overproduced segments. It's real. And when service comes, it's one of the most unscripted, you know, two hours of cooking that you'll ever see. So when we get to the top 10, top five, black jackets, it's a dream. Because then you, you start to home in on that talent. But I also, you know, I cut the BS out because if they're in it for TV and not in it for that culinary boot camp, I turn around and tell them at 25 years of age, you know, I could never come in a competition like this because you mentioned TV or a quarter million dollars and then a potential head chef job uh, in an amazing restaurant with a huge platform. Um, I would never have believed you. You know, and so I'm not saying they're lucky and gifted, but they're very fortunate to be in this position. So use it be honest with me be honest with yourself and give me your weaknesses because that's all I need to improve on like I want to know on a daily basis in our restaurants what are our weaknesses so um, if they process that forget the TV world forget the makeup and the hair and looking glam uh, and cook and soldier through this uh, they'll come out on top and when you like looking at what a, a, a aspiring chef wants to like cook and what they want to develop. Yeah. How do you kind of start that process of, is it that 
so many people no longer go to culinary school and they kind of watch everyone on TV or they yeah. learn through YouTube even yeah. how to do that. Good question. Um, so the individual challenge is we bring the best out of them. And so we, we want to see them on a plate. And so they all came in uh, a couple of weeks back thinking they're cooking their signature dishes. I said, have you tried and tested? Yeah, we have. How many yeah. times? One guy tried his dish 52 times. I said, good, because the big shock is you're not cooking them. Season 19, do you think I'm that stupid? I want to see the dish that you rehearsed. Right. You know, you're going you're gonna to cook the most popular items and proteins in Vegas. And they had the mule strip to rib cap to halibut to lobster. And they got put on the spot. And then you start to see you know, how vulnerable they are and what we need to do to get them up to the, the, the Premier League. So um, character is important with food, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of that multicultural input. So um, it's opening them up because to be a great chef, you need to be a great leader. And so, yes, you're competing as a team, but you need to stand out individually. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of chef smoking. And so I always say, blind taste test, if you want to do bad, mm -hmm. you know, continue smoking, you want to do well. Don't overthink it. Uh, and, 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 and you can train a palate. And so all these little nuances about becoming a good chef, not a super chef, but a really good chef, they pick the bare bones easily out of what we're doing on a daily basis and they spend so much time with me yeah they spend more time with me than i do with my brigades the biggest lesson i've were ever is that i never ever underestimate the personal story of these chefs and that means a lot to me i i, I, I my parents could barely afford my my whites and so um, they come into this bubble um, and they've got me after it throughout it's not just the competition thing that the lights are done, cameras are finished, done and dusted, and we, we, we turn them out. It's too important for that. And so, you know, this is a tough business to make it, I think, also. And so, uh, I don't think I've changed from season one. I think I've got a bit more mature, a little bit more understanding, but I think I, uh, I've been a great uh, motivator of spotting talent. So, there was a, a young girl last year on MasterChef, an absolute sweetheart, 19 years of age. Um, the uh, young girl with the glasses? Yeah. yeah from Baker. Wisconsin, yeah. Uh, amazing and so um, desperate desperate to bake desperate to get on in life desperate um, didn't have the money um, so her father died uh, uh, absolute shock and she came to this competition to sort of get away from that and focus on her um, this is her this is the email she sent me yesterday um, but the results you know uh, anyway so I said to her look um, I'm gonna fund this for you you know, how committed are you? So you've got no idea, I'm really committed. And so I do quite I do quite a lot of that stuff behind the scenes. We have a look and flick through there. You know, she's coming out of A stars. Um, and it's a proper culinary. And she's got into uh, an amazing position. She's 20. Then I hooked her up with Christina Tozzi. So she's studying during the day and working three nights a week with Christina Tozzi at Milk Bar. A plus, Absolutely. you know, and then, um, Kelly, who was the young man from uh, Chipotle Grill? The young man from Chipotle Grill that we sent. Oh, uh... God. Another contestant. Yeah. And so. Gabriel. Gabriel. A plus. Uh, a plus. And he was working at Chipotle Grill um, and he could take, he couldn't uh, give up the job because he, his parents needed his salary. Um, and so we got him in now and, you know, he's in year three and graduating. A plus. A, a plus. And so. It's no different with these guys, you know, because it's hard to make it in this industry today. And so, 
you know, I look at the burden coming out of culinary school with eighty, ninety thousand dollars of debt. They take mm. a job that they can't take for experience. They have to take the money to offload that debt. They spend five years knocking that debt down, and then all of a sudden, the late twenties, early thirties, and they haven't got anywhere, but they've got debt free. And so it's like this is so wrong. You know, we don't have that system in the UK. It's a completely different system in the UK. And so um, I'm not saying they're more desperate than ever before, but I suppose I feel that determination more so than ever before now. So, and also I'm being smart. Listen, we've got restaurants to fill as well. And so there's a big advantage on a marketing tool for me because, you know, the bar's raised. So they go into my restaurants and customers say, okay, you know, this is going to be a nightmare. And so we're, in many ways, it's made my team get their shit together so much better and quicker because I can't look to that person that is substandard, lazy service, <laughs> under-seasoned food. And so, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword, but it's an amazing position to be in. But we, 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 we need to focus on that. And, and just looking at the restaurant industry as it is right now, from where you started to, to currently, the trends have changed. Where do you think that restaurants are going now? Is it the big push that the chef is the focal point of the restaurant or is it more specifically the style of food that the restaurant is serving? Yeah, that's a good question. So sustainability is on all our you know, agendas. Seasonality is crucial. And then you've got the uh, plant-based phenomenon and staying true to that. I have three daughters, so you know they move trends and friends you know don't eat fish for one month and don't eat steak and they're all of a sudden they're plant-based so you know we have to take all that on board and process that um i remember customers are king i think the social media intrusion is healthy and so i get a little bit upset when i see chefs that get pissed off with customers taking pictures of what their food should dissect it and send it on that's good for us because our feedback is instant and so all i want to know and from every restaurant what are the negatives don't give me the ask us emails that we had a great celebration thank you for looking after my daughter's birthday etc give me the next that's all i can get better on the negative so social media's helped kick chefs in the ass to understanding this feedback even though everyone's a critic and we have to accept that but when we are bad and we fuck up you've got that instantly you know on your uh, on your feed and that's something not to be sniffed at that's a big advantage for us because we, we edit it and get it done and rectify it quicker than we would wait for a complaint to come from a food critic, you know, three weeks later with a long lead. You also spoke to Hell's Kitchen executive producer, Arthur Smith, who shared great insights into the show as well. Um, let's hear what he had to say. Looking at cooking shows like yeah. over the years, when you go back all the way to say like Emerald on the Food Network, mm. it was very stagnant. Mm. You know, the shot above and everything yeah. else. These type of competitions are very different. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important to have that mm. kind of dynamic feel sure. of feeling like you're in the kitchen with yeah. the contestants? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's um, prior to Hell's Kitchen going on Fox, there had never been a successful food show on network television. Mm -hmm. You know, the Food Network shows, everything like that. And in 2004, you know, you know, food was in a much different place in terms of how it's progressed over the years and stuff like that. And, you know, food is so much a part of pop culture and millennials are into it. It's really changed dramatically. So, yeah, it's been really, inter it's been really interesting to see our journey making the show at the same time as we see food just kind of explode mm -hmm. and celebrity chefs and everything else like that. Right. You know, now it's cool to be a chef. Absolutely. Almost like a rock star right. in a way. And right. But not years ago. It's like before you said, oh, my son's going to be go going into culinary. It's like, oh, 
Now that the sun's been cold and there, we go, oh. Well, the, the trade of the very hard life of constantly being in a restaurant yeah. 24-7 yeah. versus now where it's kind of like a status symbol. Exactly, exactly. So um, so when we were, you know, uh, when, we, when we first started talking to Fox about doing Hell's Kitchen, my mission was to make the show for everybody and not just people who are into food. And so we knew we were going to put some showmanship into the show and that we were going to do things differently and everything. Now, there's still something for foodies to watch and still things to see, but, but clearly we had to broaden the show up. We were on network television. We weren't on the Food Network. And the ratings that you have to get on network television are much different than the ratings that one would expect on a cable channel. Right. So right from the very beginning, we, we, we broadened it out. And um, the thing that Hell's has still to this day, which is really unique, is that we build this place. Mm-hmm. We have a live service. Right. It is. <laughs> it, there's, there's, there ain't no script. It's a live sporting event. There's no redo. There's no redo. Exactly. <laughs> and so there's no second take. And so when they screw up and... And Gordon's still, because of who he is, mm-hmm. it's it's real, it's on, it's it's genuine, and it's authentic. And I think that what's I think that's what keeps the show going. The interesting thing mm-hmm. about the unscripted business, the reality business, is there's a there's a trend right now. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, even though Hell's Kitchen's an older show, it's kept up with the trend because Hell's Kitchen's always been authentic. And the trend right now is people are tired of like manip- overly manipulated, or staged, staged scripted shows. And so this is this is real, still authentic. Yeah. Like one of the things that you mentioned it is making it authentic, but still making it approachable to yeah. the general audience. Yeah. Is that how you go about approaching certain of either the challenges and mm. also the menu items that yeah. you do during dinner yeah. service? It's yeah. not you know the little tweezer dishes with yeah. pretty plated that takes yeah. a half an hour to do. Yeah. One of the, one of the things when this when the show first started and it's still still true today, even though I said all those things about making it showmanship and broad. Every challenge is with a purpose. Every time we do something, if we don't know what the purpose of it is, mm-hmm. it's not on. When I first met with Gordon, I remember this, we had a meeting, it was at my office, I said, what do you want to eat? Which was weird, because I was asking Gordon Ramsay what do you want to eat. He's so great, he loves everything, so he's not like, he's not a food snob, which is kind of That's fun. That's good. It's kind of fun, I said, yeah, he loves in and out which is crazy, you know that? Well, most chefs aren't food snobs. No, That's no. He, but people don't he appre- realize. He appreciates high quality food, no matter where it comes from, even if it's not French or fancy. And, and I know chefs that are more than happy to go out and grab a, a bad beer with right. you at two in the exactly. morning. Exactly. Or, you know. Exactly. So, uh, but when we first got together and, you know, and, you know, I, and I had all these deal, all these ideas about broadening it up because that's mm-hmm. what I do. We produce broad based television programs. Right. And I said, the one thing that I will be true to is that everything you'll do with a purpose, he says, because it was important to Gordon because of his reputation and, right. and, and everything else. And, and we just said, what are the qualities that make a great chef? And we just started talking about all those qualities and palates and leadership and you know, um, organization and um, um, thinking fast on your feet and all mm-hmm. those things. Right. So creativity and in, in being innovative. And so every challenge, every challenge leans into some of those things or a few of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything feels purposeful. So even though we may be doing something that's fun, that's in the form of a game, right. we're testing something. We're testing creativity. There's a skill behind There's it. There's a skill behind it. So you know, if it's if it's a if it's a challenge where they don't know what ingredients they're getting, that's about thinking fast in their feet right. or being creative. Right. If we're doing the taste test, the funny taste test mm-hmm. that we do every year, that's palate. That is palate. We start to see we start to see very often the people who do well in the taste test 
are usually the ones with the best, are usually ones with the best palate and usually the, the better chefs on the. Well, even last season with Mia, you could tell yeah. that she had an amazing palate she and did. was very creative with yeah. everything. Yeah. And the thing is, is that Mia was very gifted. What she didn't, what she, she was just young. Yes. And, and we were surprised by Mia. And the interesting thing is like, you know, and it was always validated because when guest chefs came in, mm -hmm. it wasn't just Gordon who liked her. It was every guest chef who came in. Right. She kept winning all the challenges. Absolutely. So there was something about her flavor profile, her palate, that was exceptional. And that's, that's like being gifted, you know, and, and great chefs are gifted because they, they do have an amazing flavor profile. Thinking of, you mentioned like you were a little surprised about Mia. When it comes to something like that, can you, now that you have done so many seasons, mm. can you kind of gauge where you think or predict where people might fall? Well, the, the, interesting, the interesting thing is every time we do go through the casting process and we interview whatever, uh, you know, hundreds of people and stuff like that, you, you know, you look at the resumes, mm -hmm. you get references and stuff like that, and you have a pretty good sense, but we always get surprised. We get surprised in a good way and a surprise in a bad way. Oh. Uh, you know, you just, sometimes you see someone who you think is going to be great yeah. and kill it, and they get in there and they're not as good. Is it just the pressure? It, it's, it, it's either the pressure or or they've been boosted in their career by somebody else. And could, you can't tell. Right. General, I mean, we probably get most of it right. But there's always like, I say, there's always a surprise one way and a surprise the other way. Uh -huh. And then there's somebody like like Mia or some young person mm -hmm. who's just gifted. And the other thing is they learn a lot. So what happens is if you can stay here, even if you don't have the experience, right. if you stay here long enough and you actually have a palate like mm -hmm. Mia, you'll learn the other stuff. You'll learn the mechanics. It's like if you have a, if you have a great palate, you're already like ahead of the game in a way. Right. And so if you can learn all the other stuff, then, the tricks and yeah, the trade. Yeah, yeah, then you you can you can catch up. So it's just don't get eliminated early, and then and then it's actually a school. They really are learning every day. That's a thing that people don't see because we don't show a lot of because it it's not doesn't make for great TV. Right. They're trained every day, every single day. Trained by by, by your, Gordon your staff and the sous chefs and the sous chefs. It's like it's it's like a real working kitchen. It's, it's almost a, like a culinary school. It right? is. In, it is. In a different. It is, and they learn from each other, and they learn through practice, and you know they learn the menu, and they, and and and, and, and the other things. Every time a judge comes in, mm -hmm. they're telling them something. They're telling something. You know, it's like the other day. It's like you know someone cut a cut a fillet. No, you never cut a fillet. Fillet is the one thing you don't cut. So in a way, it's almost like a. a a very elite stage program yeah, exactly. for chefs because it's a it's a great resume booster. Exactly, they want it on the resume. Yeah, it's so funny like <laughs> when we come to casting. See, the type of people who come up for Hell's Kitchen, they're not reality contestants. They're not like the bartender and the personal right. trader and the model. Right. Yeah. they're people like uh, who want to. They're in the culinary industry. Someone who wants to improve yeah. their career. Uh, yeah, and they want to learn. So you'll get you'll get different, which which also leans into the authenticity of which which we were talking about before. And and you mentioned that you know the chefs themselves go in a way get a training and and learning things. Mm. You personally mm. have you become oh God, a better cook so from this? Learned so much from this. Oh my God! Especially I did a hundred episodes of Nightmares with Gordon too. Kitchen Nightmares. Oh, really? Inside a kitchen. So yeah, God. I'm, I'm sorry. so sorry. <laughs> Being in a real kitchen can either be very good or very bad. Oh, I know. Was the, the amazing thing about kitchen nightmares, the question that I always get asked uh -huh. is they know you're coming, you won't surprise them. Right. So why don't they clean? And I always say, I guess that's their version of clean because that's their version. I don't know. That's scary. I can't figure it out. I can't that's figure it absolutely out. Scary. Can't figure it out. Or they'll hide it or whatever. They know we're gonna be looking. Right. Or maybe they feel that that's what they're supposed to do. I, I don't know. No, I don't know. 
Right. Now, are there anything on on the show that you refuse to eat, or anything that, like any of the dishes that have come through that you just said? I'll Sorry. eat anything. You'll eat anything. No, no holds barred. Even right. if they brought out like, today, the, everyone says whether it's nose to tail, root to stem, yeah. um, respect the animal, however it goes. Yeah. I don't ask too many questions if it's if like if it's really exotic. I just uh-huh. tell me after. Tell you after. <laughs> as long as it tastes good, that's then it. it's probably okay. That's it. If you trust the chef, then you then you just go for it. And how important is that to like trust trust your chef? I mean, you see, you just said a kitchen nightmares, and mm-hmm. you've been mm-hmm. in some of those places mm-hmm. that maybe you would not want to go back yeah. to. Is there a certain amount of connection to the chef itself, whether you see them on TV or you read about it somewhere? That in terms of just that. You're you're more willing to be um, adventurous in in yeah. the plate. Yeah. I, well, you know, it's funny. After Kitchen Nightmares, I had a, before I walked into a restaurant anytime, I was always like thinking what was going on behind the scenes because some of the restaurants, I remember it was a Italian restaurant we did in New York one time. Be- beautiful dining room, everything clean, everything immaculate. The kitchen was a disaster. You would never know. You would never know. It was leaking and there was, there was crap everywhere. And it was, the thing was, is you would never know. So you, And all of a sudden, you'd have a stomach ache that night. You would never know. So, right, yeah. so I think it's every time, you know, would you, it's like kind of like, you know, we all know this, right? When you see a restaurant that's empty, you're never there's going a, in. Right. You're never going in. Or today, with, there's a bad Yelp review or yeah, something. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. the, the latest thing yeah, that you go yeah, after. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So going forward with the show, mm. are, do you think that it's still going to continue to kind of like push and get chefs who are looking to build their careers mm-hmm. in some way? Yeah. And do you feel that the, the, sh- the show is going to evolve into whether it's a, a, a different menu that's maybe a little more adventurous or... We're always, we're always well. We're always changing things up. We're always evolving. We're, you know, not. And we're always trying to keep. If there's a food trend, we're trying to lean right. into it. Whether it's, you know, gourmet burgers or, you know, gas. You know, the, uh, the uh, elect. What's the molecular gastronomy? Whatever, whatever the trend is of the day, mm-hmm. we're gonna lean. We're gonna lean into it. There's gonna be a challenge about it. So, um, you know, so during the course, I mean, you, during the course of Hell's Kitchen, we look back at the challenges. Not only are we thinking challenges for the episode, we're looking at the whole season. You know, what have we done? You know, what, how have we right. tested all the qualities? And so we're always, we're always looking at, at doing this. Stuff. The other thing is that because the show's been on so long, you know, a lot of people, they've been watching it. Our, 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 our chefs have been watching right. it. So we always have to be one step ahead of them and change it up so they don't know what's coming. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's fun. It's a crazy game. Gordon and Arthur both sound so engaging. I'm curious, having been on set, uh, how would you describe the show? I would say Hell's Kitchen is much more of an extreme boot camp for those chefs. I mean, it is, it is probably one of the hardest cooking auditions, maybe, that you could um, do as a chef. And putting aside the drama aspect um they they are put through their paces but that group of people involved in that show truly want them to succeed it's not mean for the sake of being mean i mean gordon ramsay himself is not mean he's a lovely lovely gentleman um and very caring and warm and welcoming and you're pulling yes you realize that well and i don't think that's anything that he would disagree with i think anyone who has had the pleasure of meeting him in person would agree with that statement and but 
just like there are many other chefs in the professional restaurant world, there can be a time um, where you can be warm and welcoming and there's time when you need to do your job. And if you're not, you're going to know that you're doing it wrong. And I think the new season, season 19, people will be excited to see it in Las Vegas. I think it holds a lot of opportunity to um, not only see the city of Las Vegas, but also to, uh, you know, have a little different uh, approach to Hell's Kitchen. And, you know, when you can travel again, you can go to the actual Hell's, the, the, uh, at Caesar's Palace, they do have a Hell's Kitchen restaurant. It's not exactly the same. You don't have yelling uh, from the red and blue kitchen and you plates <laughs> slamming, but um, but you, you can. Uh, you, you, they, they do have uh, a few little Ramsey esque uh, opportunities to enjoy while you're there. You can have the classic beef Wellington and the truffle risotto, which I will say is both tasty on and off the show. Um. Excuse me about the food you got to eat in Hell's Kitchen. That's no fair. <laughs> As a matter of fact, that's my cue to wrap this up and go in search of dinner. But before we go, a quick thanks to everyone for listening. If you loved what you heard, and how could you not, don't forget to give us shining reviews on your platform of choice. We hope you enjoyed Christine's conversations with Gordon Ramsay and Arthur Smith, and they're just the first of many exciting chats we'll be having in the weeks ahead, some of which will include Food Network's Jeff Morrow in a great in-depth interview that I did with him, uh, Top Chef All-Stars champion Melissa King, and many, many more. So tell your friends, family, and countrymen to come on by and enjoy. Excuse me, may I have some more? May I have some Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit